0: So it is my assignment to welcome you this morning. Welcome. And it is my assignment to introduce our morning speaker. Our speaker this morning comes to us from Dubois, Pennsylvania. He is an exceptionally good-looking young man. He's actually One who looks younger than he actually is, and that's because of the hairpiece. Let me just say this before we begin. First of all, I want to thank you for giving up your Monday to come and to hear the Word of God. I want to encourage you today as we fellowship uh, with one another Uh, That you would not gravitate toward those that you know so well, but that you would be on the lookout across the room for people uh, that you don't know, uh, people who might need some encouragement, perhaps pastors who have come here today alone, uh, pastors who perhaps feel alone in ministry. Uh, You hopefully will be encouraged today by the preaching of the word, but Hopefully you will also be encouraged by one another, but that's not going to happen unless you look out for one another and are intentionally um, engaged in trying to uh, bring encouragement. And even if you yourself are discouraged, I would encourage you, please, to try to encourage others. For consider the Lord Jesus Christ, who in His greatest hour of need spent the words that He had upon the cross encouraging others. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. So just because you might be hurting, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be an agent of encouragement to someone else. And hopefully I can give you some encouragement now from the word. My topic is Jesus, the shepherd who cares. We just got these new hymn books. They're a little bit stiff, but boy, they're good. The content is excellent. Hymn number 172. It's written by Fanny Crosby, and she writes, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? That is a rhetorical question, and the answer is no, we cannot doubt that. Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is a blind woman, and, and, and she's writing about providence that whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. However, Many a good hymn is ruined by just a little bit of hermeneutics, because that phrase comes to us from Mark chapter 7, verse 37. The context there is that Jesus is healing a deaf man in Decapolis, and after he did, he charged those who saw the miracle not to tell anyone But the more he told them not to tell anyone, they kept telling everybody, which is kind of ironic in that he tells them to tell nobody, and they tell everybody, and he tells us to tell everybody, and we tell nobody. But that's another sermon for another day. This is an act of disobedience where Christ has said, don't tell anybody. And in that context, we read the words which Mark wrote, which... Fanny Crosby used Mark chapter 7 verse 37 and they were astonished beyond measure and what was it that they were saying that Jesus told them not to say what they said was he has done all things well he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak now why do I bring that up well it has nothing to do with my sermon at all but I just don't feel as though I have preached unless I have found fault or criticized something. But now we've gotten that out of the way, we can, we can move on. Now the context there is that they are astonished, and they see that, that, that Jesus, in his act of healing, uh, this deaf man, is, is one who does all things well. Again, my topic today is Jesus, the shepherd who cares. I can talk about any aspect of the shepherding of Jesus and be confident that if I present it accurately, it's going to be a good example for you and it's going to benefit you and it's going to help you. I can talk about his mercy. He did that well. I can talk about his love. He did that well. I can talk about how he debated and how he used logic and reason. He did that well. I can talk about how he used the scriptures to convince. He did that very well. I can talk about how he gave rebukes. He did that very well. I can talk about how he healed people. He did that very well. I can talk about how he preached. I can talk about how he taught. I can talk about any aspect of the ministry of Jesus and it can be said of him. Thank you, Fanny. He does all things well. He does everything well. Uh, this is exhaustive. This is all-inclusive. Jesus is the best pastor ever. What about you? What do you do well? Is it preaching? How about counseling? Uh, maybe music. What about children's ministry? My happiest hour of the week is Every Tuesday at four o'clock, I have an after school kids' class in that office right there. I serve the children party water. I teach them a Bible lesson. I take them into the basement. I line them up against the wall and I fire a ball at them. I love children's ministry. How about working with the elderly? We have a Bible study that we started this year at the church for those 60 and above. I started this so that I would myself have somewhere to fellowship. And and we call call the Bible study the near-death experience. What about you? What do you do well? Will you please admit uh, that some aspects of your ministry you're pretty confident in, and others would affirm that that you do it well. And there are other aspects of your ministry that you are not so good at. There probably are worse small group leaders on planet Earth than me. I just never have met one. If Harry and Peter Nakotra and Caleb, Matthew Shores. Charlie Moore, Jackson Hewer, Keith Allen, if they were to be assembled in one room and to be asked one question, and that question is, what kind of an administrator is Ed Moore? Well, I don't think that there is a backhoe big enough to dig a hole deep enough for me to hide in, in the embarrassing stories that they could tell about my administrative deficiencies. Uh, There are things that pastors do well, and there are things that pastors do poorly. But Jesus did all things well. If I were to be honest with you today, I would have to say that my greatest flaw as a pastor is dealing with people. Several years ago, we were having a men's breakfast. There was a visitor that came. I was striking up a conversation with him. And I asked him, What are you what are you doing? He said, Well, I'm studying accounting. I said, Well, how's it going? He said, I love and he was sincere. He said, I love everything about it except the math. <laughs> well <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I would be a really good shepherd if it weren't for all of these sheep. <clears throat> I need to find some help in dealing with people. And there's a really good place to look for that help. And that is the one, Mark 737, who does all things well. Jesus, the good shepherd, is really good with the sheep. And I want to illustrate that in just a moment. But first, I need to set up three foundational building blocks for the message. Uh, One I've already mentioned, and that is that Jesus doeth all things well. So whatever he does... He does well. He does perfectly. The second building block is this. First John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, we ought to be looking at him and trying to do what he did. We're not going to do it as well as he did, but we ought to be looking to him and trying to imitate him. He does everything well, we ought to try to copy Him. Or as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Christ also suffered for you, here we go, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Now I think if you're here today, you know that following in Jesus' steps is not the way to have your sins washed away. It is through faith alone in Christ alone. But assuming that you have placed your faith in Him, as we make our way through life, An example has been set for us, not just to admire, but to follow, or as Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So building block number one, he does everything well. Building block number two, we ought to try to follow him. And then foundational building block number three, John 15, verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is going to be tough. He told us that it was going to be tough. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that it is tough, and it is unavoidable. So when it comes to dealing with people, what can we learn from the Good Shepherd? Well, let me answer that question by highlighting some of our my deficiencies in dealing with people, and I'm going to highlight two of them this morning. Number one, dealing with people, we often struggle because of their disrespect, Uh, disrespectful people, Uh, specifically their disrespect of us. It, It takes on many forms. Let me give you a few simple ones which communicate disrespect to us. On Sunday morning, they arrive late. Th- they know what time the service starts. It-, it never changes. It's always the same. And they know that there is no parking. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn around and look at the people who are sitting in the very back and no, <laughs> But pastors, haven't you been standing at the pulpit before? saying to yourself, the service has been going on for 35 minutes. (laughs) This is not that important to them. Uh, This is a form of disrespect. What's worse than people coming late is that when people don't show up at all for church or for a Bible study. And it is very easy for us to be discouraged because we start to think that the reason why they don't show up is they don't like us or they don't like our preaching or they don't respect my leadership. It's not just that they are disrespectful, but, but, but it becomes personal. They are being disrespectful to me. Uh, this sermon is a big deal to me because I studied very hard and they stayed home. They prioritized something above hearing me preach. No respect for me and my pulpit ministry or, or worse, here's what's worse, It's when they come and they sleep. (laughs) Brothers, do you know what it's like to stand and be pouring out your soul and someone is quite literally drooling? You you could do surgery on them. and, And they're not trying to hide it. They are sprawled out, snoring at times. And it is even worse if one of those persons is an officer of the church, is my preaching that bad? It is it that boring. But you know what's worse than, than sleeping? It is the glazed over look. It's when you're talking to them. It's when you've even come out to the side of the pulpit. In 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 a in a, a an auditorium this small and you have done something like that, or or you've made some sort of emotion to try to get their attention, and as you're trying to bring the point to them, establishing eye contact with them, this is what you're seeing. You know that they are not thinking about anything that you are saying, and you feel as though you are talking to yourself. You are being disrespected. What's even worse than the glazed overlook? is the scowl. I I, I would much rather they stay home or sleep or just not be looking at me at all than to give this. Now, it's been many years since I have seen the scowl, but quite frequently, Peter and Steve and Anna, in 2002, as I stood in this pulpit, there was a nonverbal aggression that was coming my way i want to let you know that i do not like you i do not like what you're saying disrespect actively trying to discourage us while we preach now let me just stop for a commercial break before i before i move on there is much encouragement in the ministry Brother Ronald sends me a text every Sunday morning. My heart is warmed by that, brother. And you promise to pray for me, and I believe that you do. That brings me to church with joy. There is encouragement which comes from our fellow elders who, like Aaron and her, hold up our hands I'm not in the ministry today, if it is not for Steve Schultz, who was an elder of this church and went out with one of our church plants. That is encouragement. There is great encouragement that comes from my wife. Sometimes it is in the form of correction, but it is encouragement nonetheless. And it is, and it is, it it, it is respectful. Three weeks ago. I go home after the service, and I say, how was it? And she said, it was all right. (laughs) Wasn't one of your best, but it was all right. Yes, we receive a lot of encouragement. But that which causes us, generally speaking, to not be good with people is when they disrespect us, or we think that they are disrespecting us. You know, it's even worse than the scowler is the person who doesn't say anything at all. You know, I have members of North Shore Baptist Church, and I'm coming up on my 30th year here. I have some members of this church to whom I have preached for three decades, and they have never once mentioned anything that has ever been in a sermon they have never said thank you it would be great if they were even to criticize but they have said nothing in fact i would say if, if if you are living in the north the majority of the people will not even acknowledge that the sermon even happened it was like a time warp like it didn't like they weren't there now if you are in the south and this is even worse than the North. As you are standing at the door shaking hands with people, as they are leaving, they will say, appreciate that, Pastor. And they'll, and they'll keep moving. But most of the people in the North won't say anything at all. Give me something. Say something. Once I was asked by one of my children... Anybody ever say anything about your sermon? I said, on an average, on a Sunday morning, I think about four people will say something. Started feeling sorry for myself at one point and even brought it up in a sermon. Jim McGuire, who's sitting right here, came up to me after the sermon and he said, well, I "I never say anything to you, but... I sit through both of your sermons every Sunday morning, so I just assumed you thought I liked it. (laughs) But it's not just disrespect when it comes to our preaching, it's disrespect for our leadership. The ideas that we come up with, the plans that we come up with, the programs that we think of which we are sure will work. And people will shoot it down or they will badmouth it and they will do it behind your back. Or when you come up with something that you're excited about, they just won't show up. I recently heard a story from a pastor in Westchester, Pennsylvania, who came up with what I thought was a very good idea. He was going to have his people read Stephen Charnock. The Attributes of God, a, even a dumbed-down version, and he said to the entire church, read this, come over to my house, we will discuss it. Time for the study to start, and two people show up. And even in the midst of the study, his wife said, I don't think that this is a very good idea, I can't understand this book. Another way that they will disrespect us is when it comes to finances. Uh, Sometimes it is intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. I was speaking to a pastor two years ago in Alabama, and I said, how are things there? And he said, we're really struggling. I said, well, how are things financially? He said, well, and he was being sincere. He said, well, we get to live in the church parsonage, and we get our garbage for free because we're allowed to use the church dumpster. And I thought, for crying out loud, this guy, it, it, the most encouraging thing he can say is that he has free use of a dumpster. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying here. I'm, t- I'm trying to, 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 to put together some programs that you, that you might be interested in. I'm playing the flute for you people, but nobody's dancing. I'm playing a dirge. Nobody's mourning. It, it's disrespect. I'm leaving. I'm going to be looking for another church. I'm going to go to another church where they at least have common decency and etiquette and they will respect for me. Respect me. I'm so confined here. I mean, I mean the, 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 there, there is church tradition. I, I, I always have to ask permission for everyone. Uh, there are the deacons. Some of my deacons aren't even saved and, and they're the ones that control my life. My wife feels like she's living in a fishbowl. I have to tiptoe everywhere that I go. They have me under their thumb. I am so disrespected. I don't care how much experience you have. I don't care where you went to seminary. It is not easy to shepherd people who disrespect you. And Jesus doeth all things well. Did anybody ever disrespect Jesus? Uh, Yes, he was the stone that the builders rejected. He is despised and rejected by men. Despise does not mean hate. Despise means to think nothing of at all. I do not despise the New York Yankees. I hate them. I despise field hockey and macrame and ice fishing. Like, I, I don't think about it at all. I'm not opposed to those things. I just don't think about them at all. Jesus was despised. Think of the example of when the Magi came to visit him. You had one man who aggressively hated the Christ. Tell me where he is that I may go and worship him. He wanted to go and kill him. You had another group who wanted to find the Christ so that they could worship him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But then you have this other middle category of the scribes and the teachers of the law to whom Herod and the wise men spoke, who were able to tell you accurately, he will be born in Bethlehem. That is two miles from Jerusalem, or so I'm told. I've never been there. I don't really want to go. But And hold that it's really close. And these guys who knew that the Christ was coming and that he was very close didn't think enough of him even to walk over to Bethlehem to see him. Despised, rejected. He is the one that created these people. He is the one who's putting breath in their lungs. He is their sustainer. He is the one who, when they were in their mother's womb, crafted their central nervous system, and yet they thought nothing of him, and he stood there, and he watched them think nothing of him. Despised and rejected. You want to talk about confined? You want to talk about having been put under someone's thumb he's born of a woman he's born under the law he he voluntarily limited his own mobility he was confined quite literally nailed to a cross that is disrespect and i think he had some good ideas i think he had some good plans He was not respected. He was not appreciated. In eternity past, he was worshiped by angels. And he came to be cursed by men. How did Jesus deal with disrespectful people? Well, the answer is he did it well because Jesus doeth all things well. They despised him. Thought nothing of him. You know what he did? He despised the shame. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It, it, they thought nothing of him and they shamed him. You know what he did? He thought nothing of their shame. Uh, the shame that they hurled at him was to him a gnat on a windshield. He took him into the praetorium. and They had a party. Every party needs a theme and the theme of this party is royalty. It is kingship. And so what we're going to do is we're going to gather around him and we're going to mock him and we're going to pretend as though we are worshiping this man, the king. I have an idea. I'm going to run outside. I'm going to grab some thorns. And even though it's going to prick my fingers in the process, I'm going to make a crown for him. I'm going to place it on his head. There's a purple robe. We're going to put that royal robe on him. We're going to sit him down. We are going to bow before him. And with our lips, we're going to mock him. And we're going to say, Hail, King of the Jews. And then we're going to take a scepter. We're going to put a reed in his hand. A scepter. All of that Jesus could have had done to him without participating, but the reed is the thing that breaks my heart because the muscles in his hand had to be used to grasp that reed. And there, like a fool, he voluntarily sat as they mocked him until they took the reed out of his hand and like a hammer, they drove the spikes into his head and they spit on him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And he despised the shame Naked, hanging on a cross. It meant no more to him than macrame means to me. He thought nothing of it. Man, you want to talk about shame? You have my attention. You make a fool out of me? You have my attention. How dare you be bored with my sermon? How dare you show up late? Who do you think you are to go to sleep while I am preaching? Meanwhile, the King of glory voluntarily participates in humiliation. Oh, when it comes to dealing with disrespectful people, Jesus doeth all things well. And so, building block number three, servant is not greater than his master. Shame on us when shame gets to us. Not only do we have to deal with disrespect when it comes to dealing with people, but there's this thing called disappointment. You let me down. I mean, for crying out loud, I got up out of bed once a week for months and met you at a diner and paid for your breakfast. And now you tell me that you're leaving your wife? I was counting on you to be a leader. I was training you to be a leader. I invested in you and you just declined. You just walked away. What do you mean that you are too busy to participate in the ministries of the church? You disappoint me. You knew this business meeting was coming up. You knew that they were gonna hang me out to dry. And you sat there and you did not open your mouth. You disappoint me. How many times have we been over this particular doctrine? Like, I am speaking English. I am actually reading the Bible verses to you. I'm explaining it to you. I'm giving you an opportunity to ask questions, and you just don't get it. You disappoint me. Keep asking the same questions. Are you even listening? I preached on that two weeks ago. How is it that you have no recollection? You disappoint me. I told you, I told you, we were sitting in my living room, I told you not to date that girl, and now she is pregnant, you disappoint me. I confided in you, you betrayed me. Two weeks ago, I met with some people in this church from another church I was in this church building meeting with people from another church, met up with them, spent my time counseling them. And I learned a few days later that the information that I shared with them, they used against me to gossip about our church. I first moved to New York. There was a young man that I got very close to And like a fool, I started to share my heart with him. I shared with him how I thought that one of our elders at the time really wasn't a very good preacher. Even if that's true, don't say it to anybody. Everything was fine with this young man until we had a falling out. Then as soon as we had that falling out, the information that I had given him was a bullet in his gun, and he went directly to that man, and he said, you know, Pastor Ed doesn't think that you're a very good preacher. And for the record, he was not a very good preacher, but I didn't need to say that, and I certainly didn't need to be betrayed. Be honest. Under shepherds, your sheep disappoint you. You count on them, you depend on them, and they let you down. Does Jesus understand disappointment? Hey guys, this is the hardest hour in the history of the universe. I'm not taking 11 of you. I'm asking three of you to come. And you three that I'm asking to come, you've seen a lot. You have seen my unveiled glory on the mountain. So here's what I need from you. And I'm counting on you. Keith, can you pray with me for one hour? And he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and he looks a stone's throw away, and they are asleep. Multiple times they are asleep. Luke chapter 9 Verses 44 and 45. This has always baffled me. Let these words, this is Jesus, let these words sing deep into your ears. The Son of Man, that's me, is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It's pretty straightforward. Verse 45 but they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. After everything that he had been through with them, even being crucified and risen and appearing to them and about to ascend into heaven, and they turned to him and they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you knuckleheads ever going to get it? Yes, Jesus understands disappointment. Show us the Father and that'll be sufficient for us. Oh, Philip. Three years with the disciples. You strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter, on this rock I will build my church. You want to talk to me during the break? I think that Peter is the rock. We can debate that at another time. I think he represents the apostles. On this rock, I will build my church. I tell you, I do not even know the man. May I be eternally damned if I have even so much as ever met this man. Jesus is the best pastor who ever lived, and he constantly had to deal with disappointment. How did he deal with it? Well, he dealt with it well because Jesus doeth all things well. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. John 13.1, having loved his own who were in the world, praise God, he loved them to the end. They're in there fighting about who will be the greatest, and he gets down on the floor. But it's not just that he got down on the floor and washed their feet. It was when he got down on the floor and washed their feet. It was on the night in which he was betrayed. How does Jesus deal with disappointing sheep? He died for them. And we ought to walk as he walked. The servant's not greater than his master. You and I are expected to love and continue loving and shepherding disappointing sheep. I, I, I... quite literally do not remember anything that my pastor as a child ever preached from the pulpit. Probably because I wasn't that bright, probably because I wasn't paying attention, might have had something to do with the fact that I was unsaved. But that man taught me so much. I can remember that there was a night when One of the members of our church had committed a criminal offense. I can remember this man who had been a friend of my father. So our pastor came to our house looking for the man because he knew that someone, if he found him, was probably quite literally going to kill him and I can see the look. I'm a little child. I I, I, I don't understand the gospel, but here's what I can see in this pastor. He comes to our house, and the look on his face is, I care for that sheep. I love this man. I know that he did wrong. But as a child, that pastor is communicating to me by the look on his face, frantically coming to our house looking for this man. Stuck with me for 50 years. You see, my natural tendency is when I am uh, disrespected and disappointed is to retreat, uh, to go into a shell, to hide, to, to, to put my head in the sand or to write the people off, or it is to retaliate. There will be hell to pay, and you will learn not to cross Ed Moore. Church life for you is going to be miserable because you messed with me, or it is to relocate. I will take my ball and go home. I'm going to go somewhere else. Most pastors who leave churches do not leave churches because they are going to a better church. They are simply going in order to leave the one that they are at. I am going to relocate. Can't take these sheep anymore. It's exactly what I wanted to do in 2002. So how did Jesus, the good shepherd, care for and deal with disrespectful, disappointing sheep? First of all, there was restraint. He could have vaporized them, but like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. We need to exercise restraint with those who disrespect us and those who disappoint us. For the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, able to teach, correcting those that are in opposition. As maybe, perhaps, peradventure, God will grant them repentance, and they'll come to their senses, and they'll escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We have to be gentle and exercise restraint. The second thing he did for them is he redeemed them. He died for them. And he wasn't just going through the motions, but he loved them. It wasn't just sort of some mechanical thing where he said, I realize that there has to be a penalty paid for sin, and I'm willing to go ahead and do it. No, he loved his own. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doeth all things well. Now I know that you cannot redeem or propitiate the sins of the people who disappoint you and disrespect you, but what you can do is you can sacrifice for them. I mean, you know it's easy to shepherd a county fair sheep because they're going to give you something in return. You're going to get a blue ribbon by the way that you present. They're going to make you happy. But what about that scrawny, sickly, disrespectful, disappointing sheep? Do we sacrifice for them as Christ sacrificed for us? And What can we do? With those who disrespect us and those who disappoint us, well, the Good Shepherd restores. Eleven of them are scattered, but we read in the book of Acts that they are those who turned the world upside down. I tell you, I do not know the man, Peter, feed my sheep. Hey, guys. It's going to be 12 thrones. You guys are going to be sitting on them, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. No idea what that means at all, but it sounds good. (laughs) And so we need a thick skin. We need to forgive. We need to forget because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to move on. We need to work with the erring sheep. We need to leave the 99 obedient sheep and go after the rascal. So may God grant us grace to study our good shepherd and then delight in his example and then follow him. Lord, oh, I needed to hear this sermon. Lord, please make me a shepherd, make us shepherds. Even though we be disappointed and discouraged and and disrespected, Lord, keep us mindful of the Good Shepherd who loved his sheep. Lord, may we love even as you love. In Christ's name, amen.